everyone let's turn to first Corinthians chapter 13 beginning at verse 1 and we're in the third part of the series on body life and the functioning of the community and spiritual gifts in our midst and we come here to this famous passage in first Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 where Paul says if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love I am nothing if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but I have not love I gain nothing love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres amen now the human body is made up of billions of cells this past week I spent some time talking with a dermatologist uh, skin cancer doctor and uh, he began explaining to me as he heard about my theme about how at least skin cells function he says they, they work uh, in mutual agreement one with the other each cell in a sense regulates its neighbor they're interdependent and they only live about 30 days at which point they die and other new cells emerge now what happens uh, with skin cancer is one cell gets changed from an outside source such as sun exposure and it becomes cancerous and and the cancer is it, it no, this cell no longer follows the rules now instead of dying in 30 days it duplicates itself in fact it then begins to encourage its neighbors to change from being normally regular cells into unhealthy cells cancerous cells it doesn't stay where it is it begins to move out of the bot out of that skin and go to other places in the body such as the lungs and liver the brain the lymph nodes and it begins to crowd other cells out destroys their nutrients because it has no ability to set boundaries and regulate itself and as the doctor said so beautifully goes cancerous cells become their own shopping mall they're self-sufficient they no longer need the normal functioning of the body to survive they have their own blood nerve supply and they begin to clone themselves kind of like sheep have done in you've seen in, in the newspapers but instead of protecting the skin now it's a cancer so I asked the inevitable question how do you redeem a cell one of these cancerous cells and he said oh you're asking the question about the prodigal can the prodigals come home and he said at this point no they cannot uh, technology is not advanced to that stage yet but they are hoping to get to the point where they can even redeem cancerous cells now it's a beautiful illustration because that's what Paul used to describe the body of Christ the church the, the a local community like ours and that that a healthy body is one where it depends one on the other and in fact a healthy body can deal with abnormalities that come into it fight off diseases and has a good immune system I, I believe we have grown in a healthy way to be able to deal with cancerous cells in our midst as we get resentful or unforgiving or bitterness and and uh, begin to walk in a healthy way and just like cells in the human body are not enmeshed they're, they're kind of interdependent so is the body of Christ and Paul said it beautifully last week we talked about it that one as one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it first Corinthians chapter 12 if you remember last week we talked about two things one is that you are amazing chapter 12 verse 7 of first Corinthians you are amazing there's nobody like you on the face of the earth and you have been given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good you are unique there's nobody like you on the planet there's nobody like you in this room uh, you are amazing and then secondly is Paul says you need other people more than you think and the tendency at least in Corinth was they looked down at other people in the body as uncouth brothers and sisters you don't even like those people and Paul says no you don't understand 
chapter 12, verse 22, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And we treat the unpresentable parts with special modesty. And, and so rather like in the world, which puts down people, Paul says, no, the people who are apparently weak, who are invisible behind the scenes, we clothe them with special dignity. We don't just tolerate them. We are anxious for them. We care for them. In the verse 25, it says each part should have equal concern for each other is the Greek word for anxiety. There's a sense where, where I actually care. I'm anxious about other people. And if you remember, I, we, we made this point, and I want to make it again this week because it's so important, that, that you know, the American attitude in the United States is I can do it myself, you know, Horatio Alger, and God says, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, you need the body to become the man and woman that God's called you to be. So, for example, if you're seeking to work out sexual purity and morality as a single person, it takes more than good teaching. It takes having people in your life, in the body, with whom you're interdependent, to enable you to, to, to hold you accountable, encourage you, exhort you, to hold to a standard that's really very different than what's out there. Same thing with money. Getting out of debt, saving, balancing, money doesn't become a god. You need a community of people with the values of the kingdom to be able to live that out. Paul says, you are dependent. You need people more than you think. Same thing with making a major decision in your life. And you remember I mentioned the Quakers. They have what's called listening committees. Not to tell you what to do, but when you're making a major decision about a life change or moving into a master's program or in college or should I marry this individual, that, that one of the great gifts from God to know, discern his will is the counsel of a community of people. What a gift to gather some people in a room as you're seeking to make a major decision to just ask you probing questions about, well, why do you want to do this and what about that? And just to think with you and pray with you about discerning God's will. And again, a lot of us, we don't want to do that. The idea of, of, of involving ourselves in community to walk out the Christian life is scary. And uh, I don't know, there's probably a lot of complex reasons for that, everything from self-sufficiency or I don't respect other people. You've got to hear the Bible here because God says, no, you, you need even the weaker person, even the folks that you don't even like, there's a piece of you, you are interdependent, you are not a nasal passage or a throat or a kneecap that can function on its own. You're a lung, a trachea, a diaphragm, you need the body of Christ. Uh, I, I think sometimes we don't want to function a, as a body or, or some of us are afraid because we might get counsel that we don't want to hear. And, you know, should I marry so-and-so? And it's very clear to others, this is, a, this is, this is not going to work. We'd rather take the short-term pain of, I'm going to, we'd rather take the long-term pain than suffer short-term pain. And so we, we run it, we don't wanna, I don't want to be lonely in the immediate, and so we end up diving into a marriage against the counsel, perhaps, of, the, of folks around us just trying to give counsel and perspective, and we choose a hard path. I think sometimes we're afraid of being judged. If I share about my struggle with raising my children, uh, I say, well, what are they going to think if they know I'm struggling with raising my kids? And, and no, God says, you understand, you, we, your body needs each other. You need people more than you think. And so, and how many times, I mean, having been around a little bit now, has it been obvious to the community uh, what's a disaster? So you, you've watched somebody make a decision, and you know it's a disaster, but they're not asking anybody. They don't want to know. They're just, they're running down the track. It's just me and God. And uh, hear this, you're dangerous alone and out of sorts, and it will catch up with you. Galatians 6, verse 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. God made you to function with other people. Now, uh, at New Life, we're seeking to develop community. It's one of our great commitments here. And so while we're you know, quite a large church and, and uh, we're broken down, if you'll look at the chart that was on the overhead here behind me, you'll see a globe. And that globe represents a, a way of looking at least New Life Fellowship. 
we understand that on Sunday mornings we are on the northern hemisphere. We're what's called celebration. We're meeting here for worship and teaching. You'll notice the atmosphere is prayer. Prayer is what keeps life going on earth. We need prayer as a church to enable there to be any life of God in our midst. Then you'll notice in the middle there's events and equipping and community development. But then in the bottom you'll notice communities themselves. And you see those umbrellas which represent different communities and those little circles underneath those umbrellas represent cells. But we're committed to developing a, a decentralized structure in which you have some relationships with whom you can walk out the Christian life. And so again, we encourage you to continue moving in that direction. It's not easy, but that is our call to be a counterculture in the midst of our society. Now, chapter 13, Paul says, Now remember love as you think about living out the gifts and being the unique person God's called you to be and God's made you like nobody else. Uh, remember the issue of love. And it's right smack in the middle of chapter 12, 13, and 14. And this is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. We read it at weddings and funerals. But this was written in chapter 13 as a rebuke to the Corinthian church, rebuking them for being immature, for being babies. And Paul's saying, grow up. And he says to them in verse 11 of chapter 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. He's saying, Corinthians, you're still ch children. You've been around a while, but you still act like babies. You're rude. You're arrogant. And, and uh, you have many great gifts. And he begins explaining them in verses 1 and 2 and 3. He says, you've got, you're visionaries. You've got faith to move mountains. You speak in tremendous tongues. And, and you've got revelation. And, and in fact, some Christians were so committed, they were selling themselves into slavery to give money away to help the poor. And he says, you, you've got tremendous gifts, but you know what? It's worth nothing. The issue for Paul is it was immaturity, and he was, this was a bombshell to the Corinthian church. When they read chapter 13, they did not feel goosebumps, they did not feel sentimental, they felt rebuke, because Paul says, everything you're doing, because it's not marked by love, is worth zero. And the sign of the Holy Spirit in your midst is not the gifts, it is the love of Christ. So let me go, I'm going to give you three questions to ask yourself today, uh, write them down somewhere. And pray over them, because uh, there, there are three questions Paul's asking them in chapter 13, and I believe God's asking us today. And the first is this. Ask yourself, is what I am doing motivated by love? Is what I am doing motivated by love? Now, Paul's not down on spiritual gifts. He loves spiritual gifts. He says in, in chapter 14, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I mean, Corinthians were a gifted church. They were having an impact. The problem was, verses 4 to 7, they were impatient, they were not kind, they were envious, they were boasting, they were proud, they were touchy, they kept a record of wrongs, they were self-interested, and Paul says, no, you don't understand, the atmosphere of spiritual gifts has got to be love. And if there's not love, he says it over and over again, verses 1 to 3 goes, it is the word nothing. You see, uh, as he's bringing back this point that Jesus brought out as well in Matthew chapter 7, that you can move in the power of God and not be a Christian at all. Great God's gifts can be moving through you, and you can be very immature. Uh, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In, in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, said Jesus, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And they worked for Jesus. They called him Lord, Lord. They said, I did this in your name. And Jesus says, I don't even know who you are because there was no love relationship there. It's, just, it's like Judas. Uh, he, he healed the sick, he drove out demons, but there was no relationship. And in the Old Testament, you had a person named Balaam, you had Saul. But the Spirit can use the gifts in person who has not given their heart to Christ.
And uh, gifts can operate in you even when your experience of God's grace is very low. That is a bombshell. You've got to hear this. There's no spiritual fruit without your heart being changed. I'm talking about things like humility, tenderness, warmth, full of hope and being approachable and courageous. Love is more miraculous, says Paul, than the miraculous. It's Philippians chapter 2. It's dying so other people can live like Jesus. Love like this requires a heart transformed by grace. I love what Jonathan Edwards said in his famous sermons. He preached on 1 Corinthians 13 in the 1600s. He says, it takes a supernatural operation of grace in the heart for a person to become of Christ-like character. It's very easy to downplay and ignore love and prefer power and revelation and knowledge. The problem is, Paul says, it can lead to pride and it look down on other people. So listen, for those of you in our midst here, you, you, if you're serving, you're working, you're active, you're, you're, maybe you're leading, uh, you've got to ask yourself the question, is everything I'm doing, is what I am doing motivated by love? It's very easy to be serving and after a while get burnt out. And, you know, I, I can be sitting here speaking here this morning, but really my heart not have love for you at all. And Paul says, Peter, that's the case, it's worth a zero. The indicator or the dials on the, on the uh, car dashboard you're to be looking at is love. And it, because it is the love of Jesus that better be soaking in your heart towards other people or it is worth, verses 1, 2, and 3, uh, it is worth nothing. So, and so if you're not active and serving somewhere, you have to ask yourself the same question. Why am I doing what I am doing? Because Paul is saying if you're not loving, it may be that your Christian life is nothing. Now, uh, I mean, so you want to look to serve. You want to look to give. You want to discover your gifts. You want to serve in the nursery or cleaning. It's not an issue of just what your gifts are. It's an issue of just simply serving and, and loving. I love what uh, Tom, who gave his testimony here a couple of months back, said, I used to just go to work before I became a Christian, but now I'm motivated by love when I go to work. Friends, Paul says that is the mark of the Holy Spirit. So ask yourself first, is what I am doing motivated by love? Second question to ask yourself in this text is, what is the loving thing to do in this situation? Love asks this question, what is the loving thing to do in this situation? Now, because loving is complex, it's a complex question in a complex world, and it doesn't always look the same. Sometimes we're reinforcing people's pathology. And, uh, you know, for example, if you're always saying yes to someone who's asking you for money, uh, have you ever done that to a child or a friend? You realize you're not helping them at all. You're, you're hurting them. Or, or you don't have the courage to say the tell the tr someone the truth. Uh, maybe they're someone blaming other people over and over again. Oh, this person and that person and my parents and him and her. And just blasting everybody around them. And I realize, you know, if I love this person, I've got to ask him the question. I said, what about you? What's going on inside of you? You're blaming everyone else for your own stuff that you're angry about and bitter about. And let's talk about what's going on in your own heart right now. And... Uh, Again, it, sometimes there's a time to put your arm around the person and comfort them. Another time, you need to speak f frankly and honestly to them and love them clearly. But it's, it's about regulating my gifts with other people. I could speak here for two hours, and the problem is the parking lot will be a mess, and nursery workers will go crazy. But what's the loving thing to do in this situation is always the question I have to ask. Let me tell you a story about this. There's a, there's a tight deaf community uh, out in Long Island, and uh, deaf people are restricted with whom they can communicate because they have to use sign language or they have to be with people who can read lips. And so they naturally connect with people uh, who are deaf and who speak their language, just like a Spanish person would or an Afghan person would. So the deaf community believes very much in a deaf culture, and they have a sense of being a deaf culture. 
Now, a, a number of years ago, a technology was developed called uh, uh, cochlear implants, inner ear implants, that has now been developed to such a place where children can now put these in their ear as babies and wear a little computer device on their belt and can begin to receive auditory information and can learn to hear and recognize sounds and then thus their speech can then develop and and so uh, children then can then grow up and function without having to rely on sign language and actually outside the deaf community but these cochlear implants or inner ear implants have been a, a huge threat to divide this community because then there'll be no more deaf people so a child can now reject that community and abandon it and can function without it and those of you who are first-generation immigrants can appreciate what that must feel like now, there was a family, who two deaf parents, who had a six-year-old girl. And at six years old, the girl asked for this cochlear implant. She wanted to be able to hear the ocean and the birds. She wanted to talk with the little girls in the neighborhood. The parents struggled. They were like, you know, oh, you know. The mother checked into it. Can I get one of these implants? And it turned out, no, she couldn't. She was too old. It was too late. And this little girl did have extended family members that could hear. But the family, the parents, uh, finally decided, no. Uh, they did not want this girl, this little six-year-old, to be able to hear. And uh, so they decided against it. And they said she can decide when she's older if she wants to get the implant. The problem is that when she's older, medically, it probably will not be possible. So the parents ended up moving from Long Island to a larger deaf community somewhere outside of Washington, D.C., so that she would be with other kids like herself. Now, what was a loving thing to do in that situation? I'm not there. I, you know, I'm not, I can't speak for those parents. The majority of deaf parents are giving their children these implants. So uh, it just seems like it was not valuing the individual. The sad thing is sometimes uh, in a church, in our desire for the community, we cannot be loving people. And that's part of what was happening in, in Corinth. That we've got to ask the question, what is the loving thing to do in this situation? I think of some of our uh, you know, teenagers of one 17-year-old in our midst, very bright, and I was talking with him the other day, and I, I said, if you don't go for a PhD with the kind of brain God's given you, it would be a tragedy. But I realized um, we're saying goodbye to him. He's going to go to school. He's, he's a good chance he'll probably never come back here. And, uh, but that's the loving thing to do in, in this situation for him. But it's loving well and, and being motivated by love and what we do means letting go. It, you know, it, it costs something to do that because we have to ask, if I can't let go and let this person be themselves like this little six-year-old girl and all it's going to do to our lives as a family and the community to let her go, what does it say about me that I can't let them go? Sometimes we want people to conform to us. It's a tremendous danger. But friends, Paul's talking about this huge diversity, great diversity in the body of Christ. So some of you, God's calling to be in Broadway and functioning there with your gifts, others in law firms, but you need to be open to how the Holy Spirit's going to construct and move and set up our body here at New Life Fellowship. And each situation is going to be different. Sometimes loving is going to be leave that person alone. Sometimes loving is going to be to be in their face. I wrote an article recently about a church in Austin, Texas, large church, a few thousand members, and they bought 30 homes in the area and tore them down and built a 550-car parking garage big cement structure and the community's in an uproar and they want to build another parking garage for 500, 550 cars and his article was saying and it was actually a Christian magazine the church was offering salvation through Christ and the neighborhood had all these signs up saying please we're asking for salvation from the church but again I don't know the details of that situation but the question I, the church does need to ask the first Corinthians 13 question that Paul says you must ask this question this is what is the loving thing to do in this situation because Paul says if you don't do the loving thing to do what you're doing is worth 
nothing. And it was meant to be a bombshell. Because he goes on, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. Oh, that, that, that is God. That is, that's who God is. He's patient and he's kind. Whew. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not, it is not easily angered. It's not touchy. Loving keeps no record of wrong. It's not, it's not a statistician, okay? We love people if they can give something back to us. You know, if you show me some gratitude, a little respect, I'll keep loving you. If you don't, I'm done. I will not love you anymore. That's how we love. It's, it's conditional. And the funny thing about it is we demand and we need unconditional love from people, but yet we can't give it. And we get mad at people when they don't give it back to us. True Christianity asks the question, says Paul, by the Holy Spirit, what is the loving thing to do? And, but it knows, I, I can't will this. I can't make it happen. It is a decision. Now, I make a decision to do the loving thing, and sometimes it doesn't feel that good. But it is a decision. And I want to invite you this morning to make that decision. To say, yes, is what I'm doing motivated by love? I want it to be. And secondly, what is the loving thing to do? But then the last question, I'll close with this, is ask yourself, am I soaking myself in the love of Christ? Am I soaking myself in the love of Christ? Because that's the only way, that's the only way you can live out 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul begins in verse 1 by saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And the reference to gongs and cymbals refers to pagan worship that was going on in Corinth when a person would walk into the temple cult of, in particular, Sybil, uh, bang the gongs so that the gods would, would rouse from their sleep and would listen. And Paul says, basically, if you're, you know, if you're using your gifts and trying to serve people, but it's not out of a heart of love, basically, it's like you're in paganism. And uh, it's possible to serve Christ that way. And if I don't allow the grace of God and the love of Jesus to soak my heart, to penetrate my heart, my gifts end up becoming a pagan sacrifice. I become irritable, proud, hurt feelings, jealous. Those are signs for Paul that you're out of whack. And we are to be melted by the absolute beauty of Jesus who loves us for who we are, not for what we bring. Nobody on earth loves you simply for who you are. As much as I may love my wife, I don't love her unconditionally like Jesus. Only Jesus is able to love somebody unconditionally for who you are, not for what you do. That's the heart of the gospel. If you saw 1% of your sin, you would drop dead in horror. Jesus saw you at your worst. He endured it. He didn't just endure it. He loves you. He goes and pays the price for your sin, bears it on the cross, rises from the dead. Why? Because he simply loves you. Let this text shatter you. This, you know, verse 7 is one of the great texts of who Jesus is. Love always protects. That's Jesus to you. Always trusts. No matter what you've done, he's believing in you. Always hopes what God's going to do in your life, and you're going to make it to the end, and always perseveres. Let this text shatter you, but you know, it's the love of Jesus for you that can transform you. So I want to invite you this morning to let yourself get washed and soaked in the love of Jesus for you afresh. Let it just go into the depth of your soul, out of which you can then love other people. 1 Corinthians 13 closes very beautifully, and Paul says, everything else is going to pass away, except this one thing eternal called love. Spiritual gifts are going to all pass away, but love's eternal. When you make a decision to love, the reason it feels so good is because you're tapping into your eternal destiny. You were made for that. And that's who God is. So I want to invite you this morning, right now, to just pray with me and invite the love of Jesus to soak you through. Let's pray.
open up your heart right now and say, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would soak me with the love of Jesus. And if you don't know Christ here, you want to receive him right now as your Lord and Savior. And come on forward here at the end of the service. But everyone listening to my voice, I want to invite you to say, Jesus, I ask you to soak me to the depth of my soul, the ugly parts of it, Lord, to soak me with your love and to wash me. And I want you to ask yourself the question, is what I am doing motivated by love? Right now as you're living your life, is what I am doing motivated by love? Is it even in your mind? And then ask yourself the question, what is the loving thing to do in this situation? What does that mean for you today, tomorrow? Monday when you go to work. What's the loving thing to do? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would release God wisdom from heaven. You would soak us in the love of Christ. And Father, that you would empower us, that we would be known as a body where gifts flow, power flows, but it is marked by the love of Jesus. And that, Lord, when people see us as individuals and as a body, they say, what is with those people? There is something about them that is distinct. And Lord, we would point to you and your love in us that has transformed us and made us, changed us from immature children, babies who are irritable and cranky and envious and self-seeking and rude and all these things that the Corinthians were in verses 4 to 7 and know that you would cause us to be like your son Jesus. We would endure with people. We'd always hope. We'd always trust. We'd always persevere, Father. We'd be like Jesus to one another. So God, we thank you and we offer this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.